Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. In today's Gospel from John, we have a theological masterpiece. John is brilliantly written two stories into one, and yet both of them build upon each other. How does it begin? On the evening of the first day of the week. We'll stop right there. Remember last week we learned. John used that from the Gospel on Easter Sunday, the first day of the week. Again, John is trying to link the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the story of creation from Genesis, that the resurrection of Christ is equal to the story of creation and all of its power, grandeur, and majesty. In fact, John here is even telling us that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new world is being created by Jesus. The old world is all changed, and now everything is seen and created through the resurrected Christ. It continues, When the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, the disciples are now cowering. They're hiding behind these locked doors for fear that the Jews would come and kill them, just like they executed Jesus Christ. But what's the spiritual symbol of these locked doors? They basically represent the sinful soul. What does sin really do to us? It locks us in on ourself, such that we're concerned with our own preoccupations, our own self-interest, our own wants and desires. We care about no one else except satisfying our own needs. Therefore, we're locked in on ourselves. Well, this is exactly what the apostles have done. Think about the story. Jesus is arrested in the garden. What's the first thing the apostles think about? Is it defending Jesus or standing in solidarity with him and being arrested also? No, it's about themselves. That's why they cut and run and abandon Jesus. And so they're cowering because of their own sinfulness. And yet, in the story it says, Jesus, he appears in their midst. Well, Jesus, the resurrected Christ, now transcends space and time. He breaks through the obstacles of the locked doors. Well, spiritually speaking, what is Jesus really doing? He breaks through the obstacles that we create due to our own sinfulness. Great example of this. Remember the story of Peter? He's in his boat minding his own business, Jesus immediately jumps in his boat and says, go out to shore, and he begins to teach the crowd. Then afterwards, they come back, and Peter is no longer the same. He abandons everything, including his boat, and he follows Jesus as an apostle. Well, the same thing holds true with us. Christ wants to break into our life, into our heart, mind, and soul, our will and our intellect, despite all the obstacles that we create especially the obstacle of sin itself. Now, he says to the apostles, peace be with you. Now, these are the first words that Jesus says to the apostles after his resurrection. It's not words of disappointment, frustration, or even anger of what they've done and how they abandoned him. No, it's peace, shalom. Jesus essentially gives the apostles 
his mercy and forgiveness. Why? Because he knows that's an obstacle for them to draw closer to him. So immediately he removes it by forgiving their sins. Next, it says, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, that's a peculiar detail. Why? Basically, Jesus is showing the apostles the effects of sin. It's a great expression of the world's rejection of Jesus. God came into this world, and what happened? They hung him on a cross and killed him. See, at Good Friday, we read the Passion, don't we? We listen to the brutality of the Passion story of what they've done to Christ. And so Jesus shows the wounds to his apostles. He wants them to know the devastating effects that sin has on us, and he doesn't want them to forgive it. We have to realize we can't have that attitude of, I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay. We're just kidding ourselves. See, when Jesus breaks into our life, he shows us the effects of sin. And yet he's not there to condemn us. Instead, like the apostles, he's there to offer peace, mercy. God, his forgiveness is made now available through Jesus Christ. We have to admit we are all sinners. And yet we are forgiven sinners by Christ. And see, that's what we celebrate here. Our church around the world celebrates this Sunday, Divine Mercy Sunday. We recognize how abundant and overwhelming God's mercy is for each and every one of us. Well, we see this on display in this gospel, this great moment of forgiveness. Now realize what the apostles have done to Jesus. In the garden, when Jesus was arrested, they all cut tail and ran. Peter denied him, not just once, but three times. Judas betrayed him. And so the apostles have done something terrible to Jesus. Therefore, I would argue the apostles, they are in fear. They're hiding behind locked doors. But I don't think it's in fear of the Jews. I think it's fear of Jesus Christ himself. They've heard that he's risen from the dead. Now they're terrified of what Jesus will do to them after they treated him so poorly, after they abandoned him. They fear God's retribution and God's wrath. And yet, in this gospel, we see that great moment of redemption in which Christ reconciles himself back to the apostles. And see, this is something for us to really understand. God's mercy is always available to us if we just reach out and ask for it. Next, Jesus breathes upon the apostles a second time. And he says, Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Well, the first time Jesus says, Peace be with you, he forgives the apostles' sins. Now, the second time he says to the apostles, Peace be with you, and breathes upon them, now he gives the apostles the power to forgive sins. Remember, the apostles represent the church in the world. Now the church becomes the new mediator of God's mercy and forgiveness in the world. And that really is the church's mission, to bring to the world that Trinitarian love that the apostles experienced, the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God wants the entire world to experience what the apostles have experienced in this gospel story, God's overwhelming mercy. Now that's the first part of this story. Now we pick up the second part with Thomas. Many of us know him as Doubting Thomas. Now it's interesting, of all the stories in the Gospels or even in the Bible itself, 
Seems like Doubting Thomas is the story that so many people know. So many people can identify with Thomas. They recognize themselves in Thomas. Especially now, more than ever, in our day and age, in our society, in our culture, that is so dominated by skepticism. So many people have that empirical or scientific view or mindset of Thomas. They have the attitude, say, unless I see it, unless I can touch it, pull it apart and understand it, I won't believe. Now notice the first detail of the story. When Jesus appears to the apostles, Thomas isn't there. He's absent. Well, that's a bad sign. Remember, the apostles represent the church. Thomas isn't there. Therefore, he is outside of the church. Where is Jesus most clearly seen? In the church. It's a basic biblical theme. Jesus is most clearly seen always in the church. The church that he himself built and created. The apostles that he personally recruited. The sacraments that he personally initiated. That's why Christ is most clearly seen in the church. You know, that's a great lesson for us all. What's Thomas's problem? He wasn't present with the apostles. Therefore, he doesn't believe. He was outside of the church. You know, there's a great temptation for so many people in this day and age to set out on their own, to follow their own ideas, their own opinions, their own preoccupations, to say to themselves, you know, I should determine what is morally good and evil in this world. I don't need institutional religion or institutional church to tell me how I should live my life or tell me what is morally good and evil. I can determine that on my own. Well, these people, when they develop that attitude, then they have a very difficult time. They struggle to see the presence of God in their life and in the world. Where do you clearly see Jesus? In the life of the church. More to it, we find Jesus in the church through space and time. For over 2,000 years, stretching across the world, through the saints, through the writings of theologians, the prophets, through our rites and our rituals and our sacraments. Just look back to last week. We celebrated Holy Week. We celebrated Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday. You know, we came together as faith communities. And in doing so, we were present with Christ. Well, when we are outside the church, it's very difficult for us to acknowledge and even see Jesus in our life. Well, the story continues. A week later, it says Jesus appeared to them again. And now Thomas is with the apostles. And now he clearly sees Christ, the risen Lord, in front of him. Now we have the most dramatic scene probably in all of the Gospels. This scene with Thomas and Jesus. Now, how does Jesus treat Thomas? Remember, this was an apostle he personally recruited. For three years, he walked with him, talked with him, ate with him, taught him. And now Thomas is denying Jesus. Does Jesus get upset with Thomas? No. Does he humiliate him or criticize him in front of the other apostles? No. In fact, just the opposite. He treats Thomas in a very gentle way. He goes to Thomas's level of faith, even a skeptical faith. Now you see this. This is very common in the Gospels. When Jesus has a one-on-one -on -one encounter with a person, he always starts where that person's faith is, where their spirituality is. In order to do what? Raise them up, strengthen them. 
we have to realize each and every one of us has or are on different spiritual levels, different faith levels, some stronger than others, some weaker than the others. But it doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is that Christ comes to our own individual level to raise us up and strengthen us. And so Thomas probes the wounds of Jesus and he makes that great statement, my Lord and my God. There is no greater affirmation of faith in all of the sacred scriptures than that spoken by Thomas. Thomas makes that great statement of faith because he accepted the invitation of faith from Christ. Ultimately, we too must surrender ourselves and accept that invitation. Notice the one last thing that Jesus says to Thomas. He says, have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Well, Jesus is now referring to us. This is us that he's speaking about. We have come to believe, and yet we have not seen the risen Lord. We have not probed his wounds, put our finger in his nail marks or his hand into his side. No, we haven't done that, but we still believe. Why? Because we are in the church. Friends, this story is a masterpiece told to us by John. First and foremost, God's mercy is overwhelming and abundant. God breaks into our life to remove all the obstacles created by sin so that we can draw closer to him. Next, what God does to us, he always offers us the invitation of faith and we must accept it. We must continue to belong in the church. See, when we do that, then we will clearly see Christ in our life, in the church, and in this world. And we too, like Thomas, can make that great affirmation of faith, my Lord and my God. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.